Welcome to the Mindset Neuroscience Podcast. I'm Stephanie Fay, and I'll be giving you science-based strategies on how to maximize the brain's learning potential by focusing on the power of mindset, relationship, and psychological safety. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 11. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the idea of perception and using our senses and how deceptive this actually is in our understanding of reality, of people, of the world. And we'll touch briefly on the idea of neuroception, which is actually going back to episode five a little bit, as well as interoception, also from episode five. And then finally, a concept I'm just going to call reception, which is thinking about how we perceive and receive and sense the world from three different perspectives. So part of this podcast is to get into the idea that we really have no idea about anything. We don't really understand the world. We don't understand our own senses. We don't understand a lot of things that we think we really do. And by opening our mind up to the idea of how little we know and how misunderstood so many things are, I think that we open up our minds to a place of expansion a place of curiosity. And I think that also can lead us into a place of being a little more willing to be receptive to just more learning, more knowledge, diverse perspectives. And it helps us, I think, just get into a very expansive mindset, one that is just willing and hungry to learn more. So the more that we can think about how little we understand, how little we actually know, and then share that enthusiasm and curiosity with others, I think we can also create a spark of just desiring to learn and a hunger for for expanding our minds with the people around us. So that's what this episode is going to be about. All right, so we're going to start with the idea of perception. Like I said in the intro, we're going to do a bit on perception, very briefly, neuroception, and then finally something called reception. Well, I'm just using that word for that. <laughs> so with perception, there it's such a vast category or concept, and it's been studied for so, so, so long. I'm not an expert in it, but I just want to do kind of a review of all the different possibilities that we could explore when we go down this kind of rabbit hole of thinking about what we actually perceive. So episode five, I I talked a lot about how we just have these different senses and sensory receptors in our body, and that most of the time we're not aware of it, partly just because we're not spending time noticing that. We're, We're noticing very externally oriented things and the scripts that go on in our brain all the time, which I think I'll probably touch on in another episode. So we have our usual uh, suspects. We have our usual senses that many people talk about. Sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, the five senses. Stephen Porges, uh, polyvagal theory, I've mentioned him many, many times. He has a paper actually called The Infant's Sixth Sense. So the sixth sense, when I'm talking about, when I hear other people talk about it, I'm kind of going into the idea of interoception, which is almost an intuitive feel, but that's really coming from paying attention to the internal organs and the, the, the senses that are 
coming up to our brain, our brainstem, that are being received by the internal organs, the viscera, which also includes um, the skin, the inner layers. So anyway, so that's the idea of, you know, kind of interoception and the sixth sense. But the five senses, you know, we have the ones that we talk about all the time, but even these are extremely deceptive. So we think we're seeing everything. We think we're hearing and tasting and smelling and touching everything. But really the fact of the matter is there's so much that our senses, first of all, do. Also, I talked about that in episode five. Antonio DiMaggio mentions this, that our senses are already gatekeepers to what even reaches, you know, the different um, areas of our brain that translate information. But even our brain then also has a lot of processing and a lot of deletion, a lot of exclusion, a lot of stuff that goes on. So just as an example, there are a whole bunch of different principles that come into the idea of perception. And this is just a fraction of what we understand and what research you know has looked at but just as one tiny microscopic fraction of how much is happening in our brain and our body that processes what we think we are sensing in our environment there's one something called the principles of grouping and there's six categories of this but actually there's quite a bit more but just as a as a brief overview there's some there's these six ideas. So the one is um, called the principle of proximity. So what our, you know, senses and our, our brain does is that anything that seems to be close together, and I'm not totally sure the threshold of this, this might have to do with all the different exposure to data that we have had up until a certain point. But when things are close together, this gets detected or perceived as being the same object. And then once that threshold is crossed and they're far enough apart, they're seen as different objects. Another one is the principle of similarity, so that when things resemble each other, even you know just patterns, color, sound, different things like that, the brain will then just detect it as being the same. Those, those two objects that have something similar or resemble each other now are just perceived as being the same thing. Another one is the law of closure. So some of you have seen that in different you know, optical illusions where just dashes or dots of something, can, the outline can be you know, put into dots or dashes of an object, let's say a wine glass or a circle, and our brain will then just complete it. So even when we have missing information, our brain will close and create this idea of closure of, of objects that are closed. So we definitely um, know this is happening all the time because if we really think about any physical object, it is really atoms and molecules <laughs> that are being held together by electromagnetic forces. There's nothing solid about it at all. Um, the deeper we go into any piece of matter, the more space we find. It's energy, it's, vib- it's vibrating, it's constantly moving. There is nothing solid or static or constant in a way about anything that we see. And yet, that is all we think we do see, is that things are, ob- are dense, that they are closed you know, entities, that they are solid objects. That's what our brain is tricking us to see all the time. So we already know that the brain is doing this constantly. We don't even totally understand all of this, that, you know, when certain atoms and molecules, they might be, you know, close to each other, and then we are grouping them together, but maybe they aren't quite so grouped together in this dense way that we seem to perceive it as. A few other ones are one called uh, intersection, so things that seem to overlap. We, our brain can also detect this as being one single object instead of 
overlapping ones. Common fate is another principle that things that move in a similar direction and at the same rate are seen by the brain as the same stimulus. And this helps us detect moving objects. So if there's enough things that are grouped together, we might detect that as one moving object. I would say that schools of fish probably have relied on that principle also, um, so that it looks like one giant moving object instead of many little ones. And there's so many other ones, but another, another just effect that the brain goes through as it's perceiving the environment is the contrast effect. And I'm sure many of you have seen those op- different optical illusions, like where they have, um, they make a tiny little room and then they have a person stand in it and it makes the person look like a giant. Or you can have like one color that's, you know, let's say if it's, I'm not sure exactly which colors work for this optical illusion, but I'm sure you've seen this one where you have one color that's on a certain background and the exact same color you put on a different background and it looks like a different color. Marketing techniques use this. Um, They try to... (laughs) have the ideal price point that they want people to have that gives them the best uh, return and they will place that in context of other prices so they'll make the other ones look not like a good deal at all so that you will pick the one that they particularly want you to pick. Uh, So we, you know, we're going through this all the time. We think that we see all these things and yet our brain is playing tricks on us all the time. And like I mentioned in episode five, no two people are ever experiencing reality the same way because our senses, our neural architecture, all of that has been built up by the incredibly unique combination of experiences and exposure to data that we have had over our life. And that has created different thresholds and different associations and different patterns in our brain that our brain is then using to detect and perceive the environment. Expectations play a huge role in our perception of what we're seeing. So we tend to have certain expectations that have been built up over time based on the exposure and the experiences that we've had. And our brain will try to continue those expectations. When things defy those expectations, we really take notice, which is why we we are very aware of anything that seems novel. But again, our, our brain's always trying to kind of group things together, close things that aren't really closed, fill in, fill in the blanks when it doesn't have all of the information. So that's just one thing to be aware of. The other thing that we need to be aware of is that we have way more senses. There's way more than five. I don't even know if we could list all of them. Just a few examples are things like we have pulmonary stretch receptors that are involved in our breathing rate so that we actually feel you know, our lungs expanding. We have something called peripheral chemoreceptors that actually give us the feeling of suffocating if our carbon dioxide levels go too high. So we actually have this feeling that the feeling of suffocation is, is geared to keep us alive. We have a lot of senses that you know, to just to touch on this, the beautiful gift of life, this drive of keeping us alive is is built into us. We have all of these things that are really trying to keep us alive at every moment. We have um, something called the chemoreceptor trigger zone, which detects drugs and hormones in our blood. And that is communicates with the vomiting centers that we feel a gag uh, when we have certain levels of things in our blood. Cutaneous receptors in the skin, which detect touch, pressure, temperature, vibration, but even something called um, vasodilation, so we can feel ourselves blush. Cardioreception, we can detect the activity of our heart. Even something, to me, this is fascinating, I might be saying it wrong, but melanocytes in the skin, so they sense UV radiation, and then, you know, that triggers, like, the release of pigmentation. So... 
you know, we've got these receptors that are detecting UV radiation for us, right? And that's just humans. And that's not even a fraction of what we understand about all the different sensory receptors we have. If you think about animals, just the mind-blowing stuff that animals are detecting. And what I want to get to with this again is that there is so much that is in our environment that we have absolutely no idea even exists. We are completely blind and ignorant to all of this information that is out there. It's it's energy, it's information, it's intelligence. It's all there, but we are just very ignorant and blind to it because we are very closed off and we're very reliant on these five senses that we've been so so taught um, and programmed to rely on, partly because of the sciences from a long time ago that basically was saying it's like the materialist movement that anything that we can't measure, which means we have to have the five senses for it, doesn't exist. So we have been programmed partly from that, but just even going back to animals and the things that they sense. So vipers and pythons, they detect infrared information so they can sense the body heat of, of things. Bees and dragonflies, they can see in the ultraviolet spectrum of the, of the light rays. Think about camouflage, animals that camouflage, so cephalopods. They have special things, so there's different theories about it. There's some people that think this is all happening in their eyes and some that say it's in the skin, but in any case, there's some theories that say they have these things called chromatophores that detect the different wavelengths of light, and that helps them choose the color. So they are, all color is is different wavelengths of light. Like that's something that I think a lot of us are, are just not even thinking about how amazing all of this is. These are different frequencies that are hap- happening constantly. In, in episode six, I talked about sound frequencies and how incredible this information is and how we are kind of, uh, tensing our middle ear muscles, you know, to detect certain frequencies, the human voice frequency, but also now there's, you know, the light spectrum. And we, we don't have quite a big of range as many other species do, but all of these are just frequencies and waves, wave, wavelengths that certain animals are able to detect and they can choose which color they're going to be based on that. I think that's mind blowing. And then things like plants, plants have all these different sensory organs and sensory receptors. They can detect, you know, humidity and water content in soil and they will reach out to different areas depending on that. The mustard plant has genes that detect gravity. If you take out this gene, the plant can't go up, can't grow upright. So it has a gravity detection gene. Then think about about most of us, many of us know about echolocation, right? Bats and dolphins, beluga whales, they are, are taking, and there's still a fair amount of controversy about how all of this is happening, but they are taking sound and they're using it to locate different objects, locate themselves in time and space. Humans who are are blind have also used this. Um, they can click their tongue and based on the frequency of sound that's coming back to them, they can figure out, you know, what's in front of them, um, the shape of objects. We even there's even magnetoreceptors, right? Bees and birds, they for migration, they are able to detect the the magnet Earth's magnetic field and know which way is north. And so they are, you know, that's that's what helps them go south for the winter. Electroreception by sharks, they can detect electric fields. So anyway, I just wanted to give all, just a 
tiny microscopic drop of how much information is out there that we have absolutely no idea even exists. There are plenty of other creatures <laughs> that are detecting this all the time. And so just for us to really, to me, have a, an appreciation for also how much intelligence exists in nature, what they have to teach us. If any of you are Marvel fans, you probably will start to notice that he, mu- Stan Lee must have... Um, known a lot about this stuff because he incorporates all of this into many of his characters. They have all of this intelligence from these different species that they use in their superpowers. The next little piece, so interoception was something I mentioned in the beginning, and that really kind of just goes back to all the senses that we have as, you know, as humans, all the receptors we have, that we can get better at feeling what's happening inside our body. We can, this is kind of the the second section, um, is this idea of interoception, that we can get better at feeling, just feeling what it feels like to breathe, feeling what's going on in our body. There's different pain receptors too. We can feel pain and, and be more objective about noticing it. And this kind of awareness, this idea of interoception, of becoming more aware of the information that is actually traveling to our brain and that we can just be more sensitive to the feeling of the the clothes on our body, just different things that are happening in our internal organs, the our heart rate. Getting in touch with all of that is very, very helpful um, because it moves us away from the narratives. And I've talked about that in episode five, so I'm just touching on it really briefly now. But it moves us away from narratives and brings us back to a more objective state of what what is going on. And they find in a lot of research that that kind of objectivity of just noticing and being more objectively aware of different sensations that we're feeling in our body helps kind of regulate us. It helps us to not go into the emotional centers of the brain as much, and it helps us perceive things as a little bit less painful. And that also expands kind of our awareness of ourselves because we're not so trapped in all of the emotional reactions. So it's something to think about too, just in terms of that There's so much going on in our environment and we don't really stay still long enough to even try to sense any of this. So as you probably have detected as a theme in many of my podcasts, it's really, I think it's very helpful for our well-being, our physical health, our emotional and mental health to have moments each day where we are trying to just sit still for a little while and just notice. (laughs) So um, that actually goes into kind of the last section of what I wanted to talk about, which is that this idea of, I'm going to call it reception, the idea that we are not sensing and perceiving and receiving all of the signals that are actually coming to us all the time. So they have they have different theories about how much we actually become aware of. I don't know where they get these numbers from, but that might be coming a little bit from all of the data that we know exists, like all of these wavelengths, all of these sound frequencies. And so some people have come up with a number like that our senses are actually being hit with or being exposed to about 40 million bits of data each moment. Um, I think it's each second. But what we're actually aware of is only 40. So 40 million bits of data are being we are being exposed to, but we're only aware of 40. And that's because our brains are, are constantly just trying to narrow down our world. And we need us, we needed to do that. It would obviously be so overwhelming if we were able to be aware of everything that was coming at us. 
But it's just something to also think about that we are really, really limiting and restricting how much we're actually aware of in each moment. So in my own experience, um, it has been helpful for me and as I've been like, you know, teaching and consulting with others to open ourselves up to three different kinds or three expanded kinds of awareness or reception. The first one is, and this is also just based on the idea of perception, extero, extero perception. So the idea of sensing what's happening in our environment. We have those, those five senses, right? And then I talked about how there's all these different effects, kind of illusions that our brain creates. So you know, thinking things that are similar are the same thing, even though they're not, et cetera, et cetera, the law of closure. What I have found is that one way to expand our brain's ability to be more receptive of what actual data is happening in a given moment, to be way better at noticing things that are actually happening, is to have a higher level of diversity of data that we expose ourselves to. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So you've prob- you know you know, probably know someone who really loves sushi as an example. Many people haven't really experienced sushi, right? And so as they, you know, let's say they're they're tasting something for the first time. Because the brain hasn't had a lot of experience with this this different these different sensations, there's a texture, there's a taste, there's a smell, there's all of this stuff. It's doesn't really have a lot of different networks and circuitry that it can use to fire up that's really diverse. It's still trying to kind of figure figure all this stuff out. So when things are really novel and we haven't exposed ourselves to them a lot, our brain is going to have just less processing power related to this because it has less data to work with, right? Or we could also use the uh, wine, right? Wine tasters. There are going to be people that taste sushi or taste wine, right? And they're not really going to be able to detect a lot of things. They're going to say the wine tastes good or, you know, grapey (laughs) as a grape flavor. I don't know. But as a person exposes themselves more and more to different varieties and starts to really highly attune their senses to all these things, all of a sudden they are detecting things that no one else detects, right? It's the same glass of wine, as an example, but the person who has a lot of experience and and tuning into these different senses, the more they become aware of. But they couldn't just drink the same glass of wine over and over and over and over again and expect to have that high level of awareness. They would have to have many different diverse exposure to data to be able to ha- to be able to become more aware. It's like it opens up the circuitry in the brain, the circuitry in the body, the sensory receptors. The more diversity we have, the more all of these different circuits can play off of each other. And it's like it expands it. When we have the same experience or we just expose ourselves to the same thing, the same conversation, the same political group, <laughs> the same articles, right? the same things over and over and over again, our brain and our body, all these circuits are not really firing up in new ways. And so they start to just close off into these very predictable patterns that create high levels of expectation because it's been so repeated so many times that now the brain almost closes off to any other possibility. It's either this or this. Right? It's either this thing that I know so, so well that I've repeated 
over and over and over again, or it's not that. It's either or, right? But the more diverse exposure we have, all of a sudden we can't do either or. The brain can't do that. It has more data to, to go off of. So it's like, oh, is it this or this or this or this? And notice that it can only do that depending on how much diversity it's had to, to the exposure it's had to the data. So I think this is a good metaphor. We're talking about the five senses, and but I'm talking also on a deeper level of the people, the opinions, the information that we expose ourselves to over and over and over again. If we don't increase the diversity of that, we will become very closed-minded, very narrow-minded. Our brains then really just go by the tricks that it always plays on us, which is that it's either this or that. That's it. Those are the only two options. You're either with me or against me, right? You either have this opinion or you don't, and that's right or wrong, for example. So that first level of being more receptive, of being a better noticer, being more aware of what is actually out there is going to come from diversifying the data we expose ourselves to. And I, I think in episode, oh gosh, I'm probably going to get it wrong. Episode eight, I think I talked about media, the algorithms, right, that Facebook and social media, all of the technology is just feeding us the same thing over and over again. So we're not getting a lot of diversity of data in that sense. But also in terms of what we expose ourselves to on a daily basis, how much do we go outside? When we go outside, I've mentioned this in another episode, nature has so much diverse data to it. Nothing is ever replicated. Nothing is exactly the same. There's no mass production like that. So going out in nature, but going to different communities, different, you know, even restaurants where there's different kinds of people, not the same people over and over and over again, going to different events, whatever that is. But I'm just getting at the idea of in terms of our external senses and what we're kind of receiving from our environment, the only way we can become really truly flexibly intelligent and adaptive, truly intelligent, which to me is adaptive and flexible not narrow-minded, not closed off and repetitive and reflexive. That's not intelligent to me. That's reflexive. The only way we can do that is when we diversify what we expose ourselves to. So that's a, an extero idea of all the different stuff we're going to be exposing ourselves to. So to diversify that. But the second way to actually diversify all that is not only diversify what we're exposing ourselves from like our, our external senses, but to go inward. Now we can diversify that way. If all we're doing is focusing on the outside, 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 all of our senses, we're not really diversifying brain activity to its highest degree either because there's so much going on inside, right? So much of our internal sensations. So that's more that interoception, which I just talked about in the previous passage, that we can also diversify our activity by shutting off the five external senses for a moment and sitting still in our body and just noticing our body, having body awareness. So that's different than the visual auditory stuff, but having some body awareness, um, we can even call that proprioception, is partly what is, is the idea of knowing where our body is in, in space. People who are, do a lot of kind of a certain kind of meditation and yoga together have really high proprioceptive abilities. So having moments in, in a day, whether it's just for a moment too, where you're just sitting in your chair, just notice how your body feels, notice what your breath feels like. There's a speaker called Eckhart Tolle who talks about mini meditation, where just taking, just noticing one breath 
takes you out of the being mesmerized and hypnotized by your senses all the time and by your own, your mind's mental scripts. So some body awareness, some internal awareness, just feeling different sensations of your body. To me, that's a really great starting point. It kind of can anchor you because your body is always there and your breath is always there. Those are two things that you can count on. So to become aware of those is a great anchor, something very, very reliable and trustworthy. And I think we need more of that in our lives. There's not a lot of stability and steadiness in our lives. So our breath, our body, they give us that. But then... So we've got exteroception, which is all the external, you know, senses, the awareness of that, diversifying that, the interoception, becoming more aware of our body, our internal sensations. But then I'm going to call this one the nonsense perception. Get it? Nonsense (laughs) perception, which is, this is the trickier one. This to me just takes a lot of just trust and um, calm and willingness to just sit with ourselves and this is the idea of actually really trying to go almost well it's to a place of nonsense where we're not even going into our body or our bodily sensations anymore but noticing images that flash up or a voice that comes up or a thought and this is you know what there's some techniques in in mindfulness meditation that are really about noticing thoughts and letting them kind of float away like dust, right? So this takes practice. People can be very impatient and uncomfortable with this one, which is why I generally suggest first the idea of just becoming aware of our body and our breath, because that can be that anchor that once you have that, so let's say for me, I often start a meditation where I will sit and I'll just notice my breath for a little while and try and get that muscle worked out, right? That focus muscle. But a lot of times, a, a really fascinating idea will come to me or a totally profound aha moment or the title of something that I'd been thinking about or, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to even put into words what it is because there's no sense behind it. It's a knowing. It's kind of a feeling. It's an aha. It's very hard to put in words, but it's something that once I am sitting, I will often get these nonsense perceptions of answers or not even answers that might be too conclusive of a word but an idea or an inspiration and I'm sure you've heard many people talk about that it's in those moments where they've stopped thinking that the aha moment comes or that solution comes so our our dream state would definitely be the nonsense state right nonsense our dreams are nonsense they don't make sense because <laughs> there's not they're not reliant on our senses they're you could say i guess extrasensory but i like the idea of nonsense so there's three these three levels of how we can become just diversify our the circuitry of our body our brain and all the other stuff that's going on the stuff that's you know our electromagnetic fields and all that And all of that, as we activate and we have way more diversity of all of this kind of awareness, we get to bring that into life with us. We get to bring that into our relationships so that all of a sudden I notice that I blush at this moment. And then that can come into a meditation later or I notice it. And because I noticed it, now I'm not stuck in the story that caused me to blush. I'm just noticing that I'm blushing or I notice that someone else is. And I know that there's a story that may have triggered their blushing. It's this this heightened level of awareness that's about interacting with live data, 
it's, I don't know why I use that term, but it's just interacting with the actual things that are happening in this moment as best we can without falling into the kind of hypnotic state that our brain will pull us into to just kind of group things together, label them immediately, immediately try and find words that correlate with something else we know or get us stuck and we almost go into a daydream state of like future projections and thinking about our problems or actually the part I didn't really touch on as much today is that that neuroceptive state. Um, Stephen Poor just talks about neuroception, which is that we get triggered by things constantly without our awareness at all. And these are just beyond a state of awareness or consciousness that that tiny little micro movement of that person's face just triggered a whole cascade of stuff, of physiological stuff that's just happened in my body. And now I want to spew out something, a reflexive thing, because they've just triggered me. Well, that will always have power over us if we don't become more aware of, let's say, micro movement of that person's frown just triggered. There is a sensation that happens in me as this this whole cascade happens, that if I become more aware of these sensations, which I need to also do in that alone time for me, but now in my moment-to-moment interactions, because I've built up the muscle, that tiny little sensation, it might be prickly finger, prickly feeling in my fingertips, which is one for me, at the feeling of rejection, or a little tightening in the chest. The moment that I become aware of that, I've now used a totally different part of my brain. I can actually slow down my reaction to that person because I've just become aware. It's less that it takes over and I immediately go into that more mammalian reflex towards that person. There's a a small moment of awareness. So diversifying um, all of these different perceptive and receptive and neuroceptive and interoceptive, diversifying all of this um, really helps our well-being and it really helps our relationships and it helps us have moments of huge insight and inspiration and creativity. That's generally where many of my presentations and different things that I've created, they come in those quiet moments or being really engaged with my senses as I'm walking down the street, not being lost in thought, engaged with my senses. So there's the the sense part, there's the interoceptive, like the exteroceptive, the interoceptive, and the nonsense. All those three layers can be really helpful for diversifying our mind, brain, body circuitry that helps us in our relationships. So that sums up that episode. Just quickly to review, we talked about the five senses, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, but that those are actually very deceptive. We have all different kinds of principles and illusions that our brain has created to simplify our world, which you know makes sense, makes it more efficient, but we are filling in the blank a lot of times, even though we don't have that information. We just think we know. <laughs> we think we see things clearly, but we don't. We think things are solid. They're not. And there's all this information that's floating around that we don't even seem to, at this point in time, we have not seemed to be able to figure out that we have the sensory receptors for, like infrared information, UV, UV spectrum, you know, the different wavelengths of light. So animals do have many of those uh, magnetoreceptors, knowing where north is. <laughs> um, they have all of that information detectors for that, receptors for that. We also have multiple other senses that we tend to 
have no idea about, like chemoreceptors or the suffocation feeling, you know, knowing the activity in our heart. These are all things that we are equipped with that we're not very aware of. And so then um, I talked about interoception, which is the idea of kind of going more detecting our inner senses, the sensations, as well as body awareness, which you could call proprioception too, feeling our body. And then lastly, I talked about the idea of diversifying and I'm calling it reception. So diversifying our receptive abilities. Are we actually receiving data? Are we receiving data from our environment? The only way we can really, truly interact with live data and really receive as much as possible and notice is if we diversify. If we repeat things over and over and over again, our brain starts to close off to any other possibility. And so there's an extero sense of that, of diversifying uh, what we expose our five senses, well, five and multiple senses to, obviously. It all plays together in this feedback system. But then we've got our intero, right? So having some moments of stillness in our day and quieting our mind and closing our eyes and just feeling our body, feeling the sensations. And then lastly, the nonsense perception, which will happen once we have had a moment of, of stillness or also sometimes when we're engaged in other things that we get different insights and aha moments and, you know, flashes. They might be words or images or thoughts or just a knowing that all of this happens as we, and the more we become aware of that, the more we can trust it. And we might follow through with one of those nonsense perceptions. And then all of a sudden that worked out. So now we can trust it more. And the only way you can start trusting that and building that ability is you need to have moments of stillness where you become aware of it and then try and follow through with something and see see what happens. So that is the episode on perception, neuroception, which is the unconscious, you know, reception of things, and reception and those three layers. And two books that I would recommend for that is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. He talks a lot about interoception. And Antonio Damasio, pretty much any book, <laughs> but Descartes' Error is a good one. And The Strange Order of Things, definitely a lot about the senses um, and just even the intelligence of animals, bacteria. Yeah, there's there's bacteria that actually, I don't know, they do something about, they create a magnet inside themselves. They know North, anyway, <laughs> there's just so much amazing stuff in this world that we're really, I feel many of us are limiting ourselves so much because we just keep reading and noticing and exposing ourselves to the same things over and over and over again that we're not opening up ourselves to how much intelligence is out there, how much data is there. And I really think that it can, it can be just, it adds so much beauty and wonder and curiosity and awe to life. So I highly recommend it. It's a really great state to be in. And I know personally that the more in awe I am of all of this stuff, it rubs off on people. And when I do a presentation or I'm talking to people, it opens up their mind too, because they can sense, they can sense the curiosity from me. So uh, those are some ideas. And I'm going to be doing just a couple more episodes. And I have a few interviews lined up, but that will be for season two, which won't be until the fall. So I'm probably going to do one or two more. I know I keep saying that. Um, <laughs> and then take a little break so that I can organize the interviews. And the other thing I would really love to have, and I hope some of you will join me with this, is um, to have you send me some questions, things you're curious about, 
challenges you're having. It can be about anything, learning, work relationships, personal relationships. I would love to have some of that to work with um, and, you know, possibly add that to either season two or season three. So please send me, you know, anything you can think of. I also would love to have a small voice recording of your question that I could insert into the show. I would really, really love to do that. Um, So kind of like old school radio style, except it won't be live. But if you're interested in that, please, please, please do that. I would really love it. Either a written question or a recorded voice, you know, just do voice memo on your phone and you can send me that recording. So send that to info at stephaniefayfrank.com. Thanks so much for joining me. For free resources and materials, including the Growth Mindset Goal Setting Booklet, head to my website at stephaniefayfrank.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave a review. If you do, you'll be entered for a chance to win a scholarship to one of my training programs or online course. 